Oh, you remain standing. Good for the reading of the Word of God. You're, you're a trained group. I like that. We're in the 12th chapter of the book of Samuel. This is the prophet Samuel's farewell address. He's gathered the people at Gilgal. They are renewing the kingdom, and Samuel is preaching his little heart out, trying to get the people once again to do what they need to do. And we pick up here in chapter 12 with the middle, about the middle of his farewell speech. And this is Samuel now speaking to the children of Israel. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before you. Is it not wheat harvest today? I call upon the Lord that He may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, and that you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. God's prophet Samuel is saying goodbye to the people as their judge because now they have a king. The king is all that the judge was supposed to be and more. God had given them a king. They had asked for a king. They now had King Saul. They had already gone out to battle. They had won a great victory with the power of the Spirit of God. They had defeated the Ammonites. They had gathered back at Gilgal there in the Jordan Valley to renew the kingdom. And I think Samuel saw this as his opportunity to say to the people, you see, this is how it works. This is how you're going to be successful. This is how you're going to live your lives 
and prosper in the land the Lord has given you. This is how you can do this under the king. If the king is under the Lord, if it's the spirit of the Lord that rushes upon the king, if it's the wisdom of God that is imparted to the king, if the king sees himself as a servant of God and recognizes that in actuality, God is still the king. That's the right kingdom. Always has been and always will be. Is Christ as the king. And those of us who serve him are to serve him as he implores them faithfully, obediently, with all of our hearts. If the king will serve the Lord, the Lord will reign over and rule and protect and guard and keep and prosper his people. That's the kingdom. That's the right notion. That's the right idea. And he has a couple of things he does. Let me treat them very quickly. One is he calls upon the people to witness against him. You remember Eli's sons had become corrupt. Even Samuel's sons were having their difficulties. Samuel wanted to make sure the people appreciated and understood his status before them as a man of honor. So he called them to witness. Is there anybody here in this multitude today that can come forth and say, I have defrauded you. I have cheated you in any way. I've taken your money. I have perverted justice. Let him come and bear witness before the, the nation. Nobody stepped forward because nobody could accuse Samuel. Samuel had been pure in heart, fervent in ministry, serving the Lord from those days in his mother's womb when God gave Hannah a little boy. And that little boy had been nurtured in the courts of the Lord, in the temple I mean, in the tabernacle. And there he had been raised up and God had come upon Samuel in a special way with his call. And all these years he had served. And now he's saying, I'm old and I'm gray. <laughs> There's something about perspective in life when you get old and gray. I assure you. But he knew the work was not done. He was getting to the end of his ministry, but not the people of God. He, like David later on, it'll be said, served the Lord in his generation, accomplished the will of God in his generation. Samuel didn't give up ministry. He continued, as he said here, I'll continue to pray for you. He's going to intercede for them. He's going to counsel them. He's going to give an enormous amount of support to this young king, Saul. He's going to continue to instruct the people, he says, in the task. He's not giving up the ministry. There's no retirement program in the ministry. God's call is a call for life's work. You may shift gears, change, adjust. There's all kinds of different ways you may do that in your life. But you serve the Lord till you die. And that's what Samuel said. He even will come later on, as we know, to anoint King David, the man after God's own heart, to be the king over Israel. But Saul had, I mean, Samuel had reached the point now where he was turning it over to Saul. And he recounts for them the good things, the great things that God has done for his people. He goes back and once again, he does what so many passages in the Bible do, and that's to recount 
salvation history to recite the great works of the Lord. One of the greatest things that's ever told us by way of commandment is to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the days. Remember your Creator. Remember how I brought you up out of Egypt. And he, he recounts the story of Egypt's deliverance, the deliverance from Egypt by the Lord, their protection in the land as they entered into the land. And then he also talks about several of the key leaders that they had, Gideon and Samson and Ehud and Othniel and some of the men who had led Israel during the days of the judges. And now Samuel, the last judge, is reminding them of what the Lord has done for them. It's not a bad idea, especially during Thanksgiving season, to recall, remember what the Lord has done, the great things that the Lord has done for us. Where would you be if the Lord hadn't loved you with an everlasting love, called you, drew you with cords of love to himself, embraced you, redeemed and saved you, taking you up out of a miry pit and put you on a solid rock, established your goings, gave you a purpose in life, gave you a new worldview, gave you an eternal perspective, and put a song in your heart, a song of praise and a song of joy. We would not be the people we are today. We wouldn't even be bothered to gather here this morning if it wasn't for what all the Lord has done for us. Samuel had that theme. He even, remember, erected that stone. Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The Lord has been our help up to this day. And hear the words of the Lord saying, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. The Lord is the same, the same God, eternal in all of his attributes. And that's what Samuel knows. And Samuel then turns into a New Testament gospel preacher. Now, it's my view that every preacher in the Old Testament was a New Testament gospel preacher. I find gospel in Noah's preaching. I find gospel in Abraham's preaching. I find gospel everywhere in the Old Testament. I know many of you do too. And here is where Samuel turns in to a New Testament gospel preacher and he's going to preach Christ to them. And let me just briefly outline how he does it. It's remarkable. He says, stand still and see what the Lord is going to do. That's the same words, you remember, that Moses used at the Red Sea. He told the people to be still, to be quiet. The Lord was going to deliver them through that Red Sea and deliver them from the hand of the Pharaoh. And they had one job to do. Remember what it was back in Exodus 14? Be silent. <laughs> That's our redemption right there. For all practical purposes, the best move we can make is to move to quiescence and silence because the Lord is at work. The Lord is powerful. The Lord is mighty to save. He's the one that brings us out with a mighty hand. And that's what 
It's going to happen right here. They're gathered at Gilgal. It's a beautiful time of the year. It's, it's kind of dry and it's the wheat harvest. He asked him, is this not the wheat harvest? Oh yeah, it is. In fact, we can't wait to get back home to harvest the wheat because we've been out here fighting this battle and this is a wonderful revival meeting we're in here. But if you could, preacher, wrap it up and we can get back home and, and harvest our wheat. He said, watch what God's going to do. And he called on the Lord and the Lord sent a horrible, horrible thunderstorm. Thunder terrorized them, lightnings flashed just like at Mount Sinai. And rain poured and we had a good old central Texas flash flood. And it soaked and drenched everything. God showed his mighty power, ruined the wheat harvest, ruined the whole occasion, the whole season. And Samuel said, God is angry with Israel. He's angry with Israel for your sin. And the people knew it. And the conviction that came in that thunderstorm was that they had great lamentation and remorse. We have sinned. We have added to our sins. Of all of our sins we've committed, we've added this evil. And that is that we've rejected God and called for a king. And what can we do? And here's the gospel preacher, Samuel. He steps up and Samuel said to them, do not be afraid. The text just before it said there was enormous fear. In fact, it said the, the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. This beloved old gray-haired prophet all of a sudden had terrorized them. And the Lord had put, once again, His fear in their hearts. And they had come to realize something that's very important that we come to realize. And that is that we abide under the wrath of God. That God is angry with sinners every day. God's wrath is not a peak. It's not a temper tantrum. It's not some emotional problem that God has because he's insecure about something. It is instead God's settled disposition against sin and evil, that which is against him, that which opposes him, that which disobeys his commandments, that's what which rebels against him. God doesn't change. He's just as angry today. And what Samuel is going to preach to them is the cross of Jesus Christ and the biblical doctrine of propitiation. The biblical doctrine of propitiation is simply that truth which says God is justifiably angry at sin and sinners and there must be some means to avert the wrath of God to absorb the wrath of God to remove the wrath of God to take the wrath of God away from the sinner else the sinner dies condemned and that's what the people were feeling was the wrath and the condemnation of God 
And here's what the prophet says. He says, do not be afraid. And let me tell you the basis upon which he could preach such a message to them when they were in the midst of their fear. They had heard the word of the Lord. Paul gives it to us in Romans chapter 1. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of mankind, of humanity. The human race, all have sinned and fallen short. We're all under that condemnation and that wrath and that anger. And later on in that chapter 1 of Romans, he lists 21 sins. Let me read them for you. It says, God gave them up to a debased mind, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full. Remember, that's what God said to Abraham back in the day. He said, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. God's mercy waits. He gives us more time, and yet we fill the vial fuller and fuller and fuller until it pours over with our wickedness and our filth and our sin. Well, it's full. It's up to here. And God Almighty, a righteous God, delays and waits in His mercy and His long-suffering, but He has to. He has to for the sake of His holiness and His righteousness and His character. He has to do something with that wrath. Listen, it's full, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 32, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Where did God make such a decree as that? in the garden when he said you eat that fruit you disobey me you rebel you'll surely die and God has never changed he has that same verdict that same decree upon sin and that wrath of God is full the cup of the wrath of God is running over. He's got to do something with it. Cannot abide for all eternity. God is to his essence his love. He's got to deal with that wrath. That wrath's got to go somewhere. And let me tell you where it goes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. The only way to propitiate is to have a blood sacrifice. Read it back in the book of Leviticus 17. There's got to be some bloodshed. God has got to pour that wrath into someone. It must be vetted in order for it to be averted. And God pours that wrath into Christ. That's what the crucifixion is all about. When you read the account in the Gospels of Jesus, His suffering, His suffering throughout His whole life, but certainly His suffering there in those last hours in the garden, before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, before Herod, before Pilate again. The beatings, the scourging, the mocking, the plucking out of the beard, the humiliation, the scoffing, the crown of thorns, all of that bloodshed before he ever gets near the old rugged cross. And then being nailed to that gibbet and hoisted between heaven and earth, hung high, stretched wide, pulling his ligaments and joints. And finally, the wrath is poured out so hard that finally the ultimate stipulation of the curse comes to him. And that is, God says, I will cut you off from my presence. And Jesus, there under that awful wrath of God, concentrated, distilled, spearheaded right into the body of Christ as He bore our sins in His body. The Spirit of God, the presence of God left Him and He was cut off. And He cried out, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And He knew in that moment an awfulness that no other human had ever seen. And that is the full bore of the wrath of an almighty God toward the sins that had been committed personally against God throughout all of history and throughout all of time. That's what Christ was doing, hanging on that cross. He was taking it. He was receiving that just due punishment for your sins and for mine. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? No, no, you can't. And I can't either. Hanging there, suffering, thirsty, hungry, And abandoned by God. Outer darkness. Extreme pain. You want to think what God thinks about sin? Look what he did to Christ on the cross. Would you like a glimpse of what God will do to a sinner? Look what happened to Christ on the cross. That's what God thinks about a sinner. 
And soon as his only begotten son became sin and took upon himself the burden of sin and the guilt of sin and the condemnation of sin, as soon as Christ became a sinner, God smote him. Book of Isaiah says he was smitten of God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Think about that. What's going on? What's going on in the mind of God? Here's what it is. God knows he's got to. He's got to deliver that wrath. He's got to even the scale. He's got to venerate his good name. He's got to bring salvation. The way from all eternity he has chosen to do it is to take it upon himself in his son and bear it for a weak and a helpless and a pathetic humanity. So he hung there in your place. He stayed there in your place. And they didn't take him down until he was completely through with his job. It is finished. God's wrath has been drained to the last dreg. It's over. A debt is paid. An account has been settled. A treaty has been signed. A peace has been brought. A debt paid. A victory has been won. And that's what old Samuel knows as he's preaching is God is going to provide the lamb. And the lamb will come and the lamb will propitiate the wrath of God. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not only will God's wrath be propitiated, appeased, satisfied, but the very sin that condemned Christ and that condemns us is removed. That's the teaching of the scapegoat in the wilderness. It's expiation. It's the removal of sin. It's to take sin as far as the east is from the west. And I remember my mother telling me when I was a little boy and she was teaching, she said, if you send something north far enough, it turns around, it's going south again. If you send it south far enough, it turns around and it's going north again. And it just keeps going north, south, north. But the east, if you send it east, it never stops going east. If you send it west, it never stops going west. It's infinite, it's removed, it's gone. And that's what God has done. He has taken our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. And He remembers them against us no more. So here you have it, the cross. You have God and man reconciled in Christ. The wrath removed by the one mediator between God and man. And you have the sin, the crime, the evidence. That's why there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, is there's no evidence against you anymore. There's not one scrap of evidence that anybody can present before the justice bar of God that will convict you of sin because it has been removed. 
by the finished work of Christ. Far as the east is from the west. And that's why old Samuel could tell them, God is not going to give up on his people. And the next few verses, and we're out of time now, but let me just tell you something you already know. It's a recitation of the covenant faithfulness of God. The covenant faithfulness of God, sometimes translated steadfast love, sometimes covenant love, sometimes it's referred to later on in the text as the sure mercies of David. But it is that which God promised that he's going to save his people for his name's sake and their salvation is going to be accomplished in Christ. It will be applied by his spirit put within them and it will be a work that will be never, never undone. It'll be for all eternity. Salvation is not just about us and our sin. It's about God and His good name and His glory and His justice. And that's what Christ has come. Christ is God and man, as you know. And as God, He has to take care of all of that which is of interest to God. Justice, holiness, righteousness, the deliverance of grace and mercy and salvation. But as human, He needs to take care of everything that we need. He is our faithful high priest and he needs to get us right. He needs to take away our guilt, take away our sin, take away all the impediments, take away all the stain, all the condemnation and remove everything, clean it up entirely. Sanctify it wholly before God. And that's what God does in our salvation. And old Samuel just couldn't wait to tell the people about it. And he sort of regretted that this was the last time he had a chance to preach to the whole congregation. So he ended right where he should. He preached the redemptive work of Christ.